Welcome to the Work Science Center podcast, brought to you by the Work Science Center of the Georgia Institute of Technology. You can find out more about the Work Science Center by visiting our website at www.worksciencecenter.gatech.edu. I'm Corey Tatel, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, I speak with Dr. Chris Sarasoli about informal learning at work and its importance in the modern-day work context. Chris is currently a senior talent analytics consultant at United Health Group and has previously worked as a consultant at the Group for Organizational Effectiveness, as well as as an adjunct professor at the University of Hartford and at the University of Albany. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, so to start off, um, would you mind telling me and our listeners um, a little bit about your background and just how you became interested in informal learning? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. And, and just a quick note before I share a little bit about myself, uh, a lot of the inspiration for this work and the work itself has been a big partnership. So I'd kind of be remiss if I didn't acknowledge some of the, the great work that I've done with, with other colleagues from collaborators from the University of Connecticut, from the, the Group for Organizational Effectiveness, uh, the Transitions to Veteran Department, and, and a few others. So, so I did want to say that a lot of the work that I've done has been very much a, a team effort. So just wanted to note that there. So I am currently an analytics consultant, uh, as you noted before, with a large organization as an internal partner. But this interest has been a part of my career for uh, close to a decade now. And I would say it really became something that fascinated me when I realized that it was something we were all doing. It was something that organizations didn't know they needed, but something like north of 70% of the learning that takes place in organizations doesn't happen in classrooms. And that sent my antenna up and made me realize that's something we want to dive a little bit deeper into. Before we dig too deeply into the topic, I know a lot of people really struggle with what exactly falls into the bucket of informal learning and what doesn't. So could you share with me how you would define informal learning and how maybe you distinguish it from other types of learning? I can perhaps first start with what I think the definition is, something that I've spent a little time working with my collaborators to pen down a little bit more formally, and then maybe kind of dive into, into why that definition kind of came up over time. And one thing that I really tend to focus on is not the not the learning itself, but the behaviors. And maybe I can tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later. But I think about informal learning behaviors, the things that we can observe are those things that are not curricular. They're activities that are pursued in, uh, uh, in pursuit of knowledge that take place outside of the classroom. So formally designated learning courses. They're predominantly self-directed behaviors. So they're things that individuals are intentionally doing. They are um, based in the field, so they occur on the job, in the context, and they're not really based around a particular syllabus or a program of research or, or something that somebody else has dictated. That's sort of the more formal definition, and there's a couple of pieces of that that would impact and why. And really what informal learning is, is it's, it's a way to think about how we go about learning. It's a continuum, not a dichotomy, between formal learning and informal learning. There are things that you can think of, such as um, action and adventure learning, 
or debriefing or exploitative learning or rehearsing, planning, lots of different things that we think of that fall into the learning sphere, um, mentoring, coaching, lots of different things. And none of them are purely formal or purely informal. Instead, we kind of think about them and uh, along the, the lines of a, of a continuum. Another thing that's really key to informal learning is the context. As I suggested in the definition before, they take place outside the classroom. People who learn informally are out in the field, asking questions, thinking about things differently, trying to take the initiative for their own learning. So they take place not in a particular context, like for example, uh, a, a, a training or orientation or even the typical traditional lecture base, but they occur without those boundaries outside in the field somewhere. And to a big degree, they also depend on intentionality. So while it might be an informal way to learn when a child puts their hand on a hot stove burner, that's not the kind of thing we're thinking of when we think of informal learning. That's incidental learning. It happens without being in a classroom, but it doesn't have any intentionality to it. The thing is that really where, where organizations care about informal learning are those conscious actions that individuals, employees would take to improve their knowledge or to gain knowledge for something for a particular purpose. There's a lot there. I think it's a little different than maybe sometimes what you read about in the literature in regards to informal learning or even how some people talk about it out in the field, um, just because it's so, it's so much narrower and focused and specific. Um, and so I'm curious, when you were developing that kind of definition or way of looking at it, adding that behavioral intentionality piece to it, what was sort of your inspiration for making such a, a focused definition like that? That's a good question. I think that it was, you know, I'd like to say that that I, we, the people I collaborated with, kind of sat bolt upright and came up with this great idea, but a lot of it was inspired by by observations over time. And so one thing I suggested earlier, for example, is that somewhere north of 70% of where organizations say their employees are getting their learning is not informal trainings. And so this was based on a survey done 22 years ago of a, of a number of organizations asking them where, where that happened. So this observation kind of led, led myself and other, others to think, well, 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 what really is it that's taking place? What do we really mean when we talk about formal learning and training? And we think about those sorts of things that really just take place outside the classroom. Another observation that inspired this is that people have used the word informal learning for years. It goes back in the literature at least 30 years, but they, they've never meant the same thing about it or no two research studies or individuals seem to think about it in quite the same way. And so when myself as someone who does a decent amount of research sees a lot of disagreement, that looks like a place where it's ripe to rally up the horses, get everyone together and figure out what actually falls in and what doesn't. And the behavioral versus the cognitive components, so the behaviors versus the learning itself, was a key insight to helping to tie together a lot of literatures and to think about how to move forward practically. Okay. We talked a little bit about this at PSYOP, about how, you know, when you, you take a look at the literature for uh, informal learning, the literatures sometimes seem all over the place and completely different. And I think you just touched on that. So given those differences, what advice would you give to researchers or organizations going forward about how they can integrate their research across those different segments and maybe come to a, a better understanding of how people learn? 
Yeah, that, that, that's a great question, Corey. I think for researchers, it's getting actually back into the literature. So my colleagues and I uh, co-authored a, a meta-analysis, and, and that's probably what you're referring to, and you know, mm -hmm. I mentioned that at, at PSYOP recently, co-authored a meta-analysis that was probably one of the most challenging ones that I've ever done because all the literature came from such a broad range of disciplines, education, healthcare, um, organizational research, and just so many that, that were far beyond that there has been research going on, but it's most of the researchers have proceeded ignorant of each other. And so one of the things, or I should say in a, unaware would be a better way to put it. One of the things that we did was scour the literature top to bottom to pull those together. So to create sort of a unitary concept and framework to think about it. So my, my first suggestion to researchers would be start with where we did. Don't reinvent the wheel. Because it, it took a lot of time and a lot of, and a lot of work to do that. I would suggest to start with there. But then once you have an idea for the framework and how to think about it, you have to get out of the lab. It's almost impossible to operationalize and measure and think about informal learning in the lab. It has to be within organizations. The challenging part is it is something that is supposed to occur organically. So surveys and observation are probably the best way that we really honestly know to get at it right now. Observation on the behalf of researchers, but more likely as rated by employee managers, right? Or you know, the, the opposite could be said, direct reports could potentially also rate their supervisors. Mm -hmm. And so I guess if I think what are the implications for organizations, how do they move an informal learning agenda forward? They have to start with the culture. And it sounds a little cliche to say, but the reason that I say that is one of the strongest drivers of whether or not informal learning behaviors take place in the first place is that interpersonal formal and informal support. So individual employees are the ones who are going to be engaging those behaviors. They have to feel it's part and parcel of their job. They have to feel it's a value that permeates the organization, that it's an expectation. And so that is a, that is a critical part of it. And, and that starts at the top down. So for example, um, a former sales prospect of mine was the, was the CLO at AIG, and he is regularly crafting and creating posts all over social media about very interesting topics related to learning and thinking. And he also was very, uh, very clear to use just the, the general idea that I don't know quite a bit. And so that sets up an expectation for the folks who, who, who are outside the organization is it's okay to explore things. It's okay to look at things and say, I, I don't know this or I don't know that. So that's really interesting. And I think you have kind of a unique perspective. And I think you kind of just displayed that by, you know, starting with a conversation with the literature and then talking about what's really being done out in corporations and in organizations. Um, and so you have both of those perspectives. So when you when you move from the literature into and you talk to people in organizations about the importance of this informal learning, is that something that they're usually pretty receptive to? Or is that something that, you know, do you get any pushback from people that really want to focus in on formal training programs? Or how does that kind of look out in the organizations? And you know what, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road a lot of times. The, it, it's easy for us to believe that if you put the research out there, it's going to support some, some action in the business, right? And, and while it is a critical piece, it's not all of it by, by a long shot. And so just like anything else, um, 
you have to build a business case for it. There has to be a case in terms of dollars and cents or heads or the vision of the organization or all of those business metrics and KPIs you can really think about. But when you, so when you talk about folks doing that, there's a certain way that they're, they're used to hearing that. So decision makers are used to hearing about a discrete initiative. This is what we want to do. This is what it'll cost. This is what it will save or bring in. Here's the Delta on that. Let's go ahead and move with it. The challenge with informal learning is by its very nature, informal learning is not a discrete program. People engage in informal learning behaviors at different times, at different rates. Sometimes they're observable, sometimes they're not. So for example, I can sit back with a cup of coffee and sit forward and have a, have a great thought and chase that to the end and, and, and get on the phone and talk with somebody and nobody may ever see that if, if they are not directly observing me. So it is something that's, that's nonlinear. It occurs at greater levels, sometimes lower levels, other times. So it doesn't come along in a discrete package and it doesn't necessarily by itself lend itself to building a business case as well as it could. Now, it doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. It doesn't mean it's not something that organizations see the use for. They just don't have the language or the framework or the, the delivery mechanism to get it just yet in a lot of cases. You just touched on you know, how unstructured this kind of learning can be and how it can occur at all of these different time points. So I imagine this is a pretty difficult thing to measure. And I know that you've kind of touched on that it's been measured through surveys. Um, but other than that, what kind of challenges are there in measuring this informal learning in organizations? And what advice would you give to people in organizations that want to get at this idea better than they have before? I guess there's the measurement and then there's actually maybe driving it or doing something about it. The measurement piece is that you can't really measure the learning. You can measure the behaviors. So it's critical to think about the behaviors that somebody would engage in if they were trying to learn informally in your organization. In some cases, that's asking questions. In some cases, that's maybe shadowing somebody. In some cases, maybe that's simply observations or time just simply dedicated to doing something that's extracurricular, so to speak. And so it's, it's giving people that expectation and, and understanding the behaviors that they would engage in that would lead to some sort of knowledge or information being gained other than through formal methods. Um, as I suggested before, part of it is just culture. People need to have the expectation that this is something that they do, that is something that's valued. But there's also the notion of things that, that get in the way. Folks have to have resources and time for this. There was a seminal article by... Um, even care sometime in the mid 70s from the city university of new york on what you really want to get when you incentivize people you don't want to incentivize them for a but really ask for b and so we can't expect people to reasonably engage in discretionary off-task behavior if they don't have the time to do it if they are punished for taking risks if it is frowned upon to ever be wrong if you are expected to be someone who always has the answers, all of these things get in the way of somebody taking a step back and saying, I don't know, but I've got a little bit of time. Maybe I'll try to figure it out. So it sounds like there's certainly an organizational culture piece to this. Um, do you think there's maybe also an industry culture piece to this? Um, do you think some industries 
may do a better job of encouraging informal learning behaviors than others? Oh, absolutely. There are some places that should not discover it. You probably don't want your nuclear power plant technicians engaging in informal learning right, when it right. comes to, to the controls that they're using. You don't want your brain surgeon engaging in informal learning to see what would happen if he, if he pokes this thing or pulls on that thing. So it starts with, as anything else would, you know, at least for individual performance and, and learning, what are the type of tasks and what is the, the context in which that happens? So where there is a lot of room and need for informal learning is where you have people potentially working independently. So perhaps folks who are, who are in sales or distributing, where there's a high degree of autonomy or decision-making, where there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer, but there is a defensible answer. Um, so you can think, for example, lawyers, in a lot of cases, there is a most defensible answer if there is not even a right one. Thinking about what the context and criteria are for performance is critical. In some cases, where there are just highly repetitive or potentially even somewhat mundane tasks, even though those are increasingly being automated now, it's not going to be fertile soil for someone who is perhaps uh, you know, counting widgets or, or, or swinging a hammer nonstop to be engaging a lot of informal learning. In fact, time off task for them could actually lead to lower performance and you know, possibly lower pay and job satisfaction as a result. I want to shift gears just a, a little bit here. I think it, it's not a total shift in gears, given what um, you were just talking about with technology and automation. But um, here at the Work Science Center, we focus on uh, the modern workforce and the changing nature of work in a lot of different ways. So what is it about informal learning that makes it so important to the 21st century work context? That's a fair question. It's that a lot of things that I said before, when I said you have to link to the the, the, the nature of the work itself, that that is changing. So for example, with increasing telework and distributed teams, it's increasingly more common that you don't have someone right there who has all the answers. You have to go out and find it yourself or you have to work elsewhere to get that information. Higher levels of autonomy and responsibility are more and more common, not just uh, with telework, but as teams are increasingly distributed globally, that individuals have to make their own decisions about the things that they spend their time on and don't. And so they may not even be presented with an a la carte options of formal training programs that give them the information they need. They simply may need to go out and, and, and seek it out. And time, too, is, is, a, is also a concern. So, for example, um, I, had an, I had an interesting call yesterday with, with um, another member of my team who is in a data management role. And in the span of two years, from when she graduated her formal education training program, one of the database technologies that she was using had already become largely defunct. And so as technology evolves quicker and quicker, our formal training programs just won't keep up. And frankly, they probably just can't be designed to keep up. So individuals will be sort of pressed increasingly to get the information they need to build relationships proactively that help to say, hey, here's a heads up. You didn't realize that this particular type of coding is changing or the way we entered information to this database is changing. As technology changes more and more quickly and evolves, we have to have a format for learning and for approaching that learning that adapts to that. So I think that that's really interesting um, because in industries where the technology is evolving like this, um, 
there is that enhanced need to continue updating your skill set. Um, and it sounds like you're you're talking about you know having a format for going out and doing that. So it's almost like it, it's almost a spectrum if you're providing somewhat of a format to informally learn, it's kind of a mix of formal and informal learning. Um, so do you think that there's ways that formal learning can impact informal learning, especially in that kind of a context? Yeah, that, that's, that's a great observation, Corey. When you think about it, it seems like a conundrum, but formal learning and informal learning can be pretty closely related. So you can train somebody through formal education to be a better informal learning. For example, you can teach them, uh, you can train them, rather, I would say, to recognize particular triggers in the environment. So are people saying things that are in inconsistent? Is there a need that's not being met? Is there something that has changed, right? So you can, there are various ways you can train people to be better informal learners. And so one thing that I like to share is that formal learning and informal learning are not inherently incompatible in fact, they can leverage each other to to a great degree, but that informal learning just becomes more and more critical as as the years go by. It's kind of an, an intersection of two seemingly opposite terms. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about was there's just a simple search, Google search of informal learning will show that there's been this explosion in interest in it in recent years. And I think uh, your comments today can kind of attest to that. Um, and so I think people can you know, use that, they can look at your prior publications to see what we do know about informal learning. But what are some things that we don't yet know about informal learning that we really need to gain a better understanding of going forward? Well, you know, I wear, I wear two hats when I think about that, Corey. I, I, I wear my consultant applied hat, and then I wear my researcher hat. The consultant side is we haven't yet cracked the code about how to package it right and how to create a business case for implementing it. Now, in some organizations where they have, they sincerely want to drive a strong learning culture, that's where there is potential for, you know, there's fertile fields to be able to get that to take off. But in those cases, you almost don't need to build a business case. It's something that's considered to be there. What I think that we still haven't gotten right just yet is the ability to package it and talk about it and sell it as part of a business case, just like we would package for any other initiative we were trying to advance, I think we haven't gotten that yet. And that's something that will just take some time, some technology, and frankly, some good marketing and salesmanship. If I think about the challenges also on the applied side, it's hard to think about it in more routine environments. So as more and more folks either work telework or distributed or in offices and less manufacturing roles or other roles where they have opportunities for just doing new things, right? You have to be in new environments and, and experiencing different things to really capitalize on formal learning. It, it's challenging to think about that when there isn't a lot of change, but you still have to deal with things. Uh, I would say that on the research side, one thing that's kind of critical we just don't know uh, enough about is the role of time. Time when it comes to measurement and time when it comes to resource. So we don't know how long it takes for individuals to have to engage in informal learning behaviors before some learning takes place. We don't really know the relationship between the frequency with which informal learning behaviors are engaged in and the amount of learning that occurs. So I suggested before, it's nonlinear. You can think of a formal classroom. You've got 
if you have a, you know, a syllabus, a training syllabus, whatever it is, there's seven discrete units, seven discrete skills. You can measure those through quizzes and you can see that learning takes place pretty linearly. You don't have that so much on the informal learning side. You can talk about the behaviors that people engage in, but because they're discretionary, it's hard to think about the learning itself. And then with respect to the time as a resource, it's still not clear what the right amount of time pressure is for a given employee. So if someone has too little time on their hands, they don't, in theory, have the time to engage in informal learning behaviors. On the other hand, if they have too much time available, they won't feel the need for it. So there's something like of a, of a, of a Yerkes-Dodson curve in there, and that there's a sweet spot, but we just don't know where that is yet. And, and finally, we don't know how individual preferences interact with the environment to drive the extent to which somebody engages in formal learning behaviors. We know that people who have a modus for learning or who are curious tend to engage in those. We know that when the environment is supportive, it tends to happen, but we don't know about the, the confluence of the two, whether the whole is greater than the sum of its parts or not. There's a couple things I really, I really want to ask a couple follow-up questions on based on that. Um, sure. When you talked about building business cases for informal learning, um, I think that can be a really difficult thing to do to show ROI from learning outside of these formal contexts. So what are some ways that you've seen people at least attempt to do that? Um, what are some ways you've attempted to do that? Do you, you know, do you throw that number of, you know, 70 to 90% of learning uh, at work occurs on the job? Um, or is there really more to it than that? Those things support a business case for driving some sort of informal learning initiative. But there's, there's really, I think, two parts of the challenge. A, what is it? Like, what is it you're actually trying to sell? It's not like you're trying to sell a program with a curricula where folks go to training, they sit through it, and then they're done. What exactly is it that you're, you're proposing? You, it's great to say that employees who engage in informal learning tend to have higher levels of performance, tend to have higher levels of knowledge and skill, tend to have better attitudes in general. And research supports that. But so what? What next? What do we do? Right. So so what is it that we're actually trying to sell? What is it we're trying to do? Potentially there you could. And, and I don't know of anyone who has done this, at least strictly in the way that, that I would think of with informal learning. You could suggest and package a formal training program that drives informal learning. But in that case, you're proposing a formal training program. So there is something of an irony there in that you're never going to propose a purely informal learning program. You're going to propose something formal that drives informal learning behaviors. So that recognition is probably where, where most folks would start. And programs are tools that help to capitalize on that. So for example, team after action reviews or debriefs are one semi-formal structured way that individuals and teams after a recent performance event can reflect on what they did, can do some real uh, root cause analysis, plan on what they can do going from there, and then have an iterative cycle of improvement. But again, that's a very concrete solution that can be provided that's designed to support informal learning. So I suppose, and somebody would say is, we probably wouldn't go and, and put in a business case directly for some sort of informal learning program itself. We would have to make the case that there is some program, some formal program or tool or technique or, or technology that we are asking decision makers to pay for that will drive informal learning and then make the case that those benefits are worth the cost. Uh, so I think we're 
you know, getting close to wrapping things up here, but um, are there any other last thoughts or anything you haven't mentioned that you feel would be really important for our listeners to hear about informal learning or the modern work context? Well, I think it would be just a, a general realization or kind of a reiteration of, of sort of the old adage that not everything that can count can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. So even though informal learning is challenging to operationalize, it's challenging to directly build a business case for, it's challenging to pull together the research on, even though it's challenging, doesn't decrease the value of, of leveraging it. Now, again, I can't sit here and say I know exactly the best way to do that, but I do recognize that the organization that learns to do that will find ways to unlock a lot of value and will find ways to drive a lot of unintended or side benefits. So for example, one of the things that repeatedly shows up on surveys if, with the organizations that I've worked with is that the number one driver of their employee engagement is the opportunities that individuals have, individual employees have, to learn and develop and grow at the organization. Don't get me wrong, the biggest pain point most people will put on any survey is their pay and their benefits. They want more pay and benefits. And of course, pay and benefits are important. But when you take that off the table, it is it, actually, if you leave it on the table, it is not the biggest predictor of employee engagement. It is those things that individuals see they have an opportunity to develop and grow and have, have a career. So, so when I loop that back, driving informal learning is a direct, direct way to leverage that. So, so again, I, I, would, I would emphasize that it may be challenging to operationalize and measure and even drive, but the organization that does that will, will really crack the code to some pretty extreme amounts of value. Uh, well, thank you, Chris, for joining us today and sharing your insights. Uh, I really think this was something that was very informative and something that our listeners will really appreciate. And uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us as well and for other podcasts and interesting re reads related to the modern workforce and the changing nature of work. Please visit the Georgia Tech Work Science Center website at www.worksciencecenter.gatech.edu. 